Hello and welcome to DesignCast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Regan and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission, to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world, from classroom teachers to authors and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes. Feel free to drop by my website, www.jasonreagan.ga, to leave me a comment or to sign up to be considered as a future guest on future episodes. Also, don't forget to stop by Anchor and leave me a voice clip that could even end up in an upcoming show. Thanks for listening. So let's get to it. On this episode of DesignCast, I had the opportunity to speak to Justin Bedard of the Jump Foundation. Justin spent his childhood playing in the islands of Indonesia and his formative years exploring and learning in China. He has a strong passion for educational innovation, and he is recognized for his commitment to youth programs around the world. He has filled his life with organizational consulting, leadership facilitation, community development, and time playing in the wilderness. The Jump Foundation's vision is to inspire individuals through transformational experiences, empower individuals with skills and resources to create positive impact, engage individuals with local and global communities. Justin talks about all these things throughout our discussion, and we even get into chatting about the current state of education and how innovation will hopefully have a lasting impact on education moving into the unknown future. I am confident that you will enjoy listening as much as we enjoyed chatting. On a different note, if you don't mind, please subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. I appreciate all the kind words and support that have been rolling in so far. If you have any ideas for future episodes or would like to be a guest, please reach out through my website, www.jasonreagan.ga, as there is a contact form there on the website. You can also link to uh, share a voice message, and that link is in the show notes. So thanks so much for listening and your continued support. Now enjoy my chat with Justin Bedard. 
welcome back to another edition of Design Cast, and I'm really excited today to talk to Justin Bedard. It's a little different today, and Justin will tell you why in a minute. Justin, thank you so much for agreeing to be here to chat with me about how organizations can be innovative and, and resilient. And so uh, if you don't mind telling everybody who you are and kind of what you do, that would be amazing. Thanks, Jason. Absolute pleasure to be on your podcast. My name's Justin. I'm a Canadian citizen, and I grew up overseas, so I was born in Eastern Africa and Malawi, and then grew up in Indonesia and went to international school there. And then I went to Beijing and graduated from international school of Beijing. Um, so that's a little bit about me as a kid, like through the third culture kid international school system. Um, and then I'm currently the executive director and I'm one of the co-founders of the Jump Foundation. The Jump Foundation's mission is to make transformational learning accessible to all. And so we're a social enterprise and we run programs for international schools. And then we use the surplus generated from that to run programs for uh, youth who are underserved uh, in communities that are under-resourced. I can talk more about lots of other things. That's a little bit about me, Jason. That's awesome. I did not know that about you being a third culture kid. So that's actually really cool that you you kind of know what a lot of the folks in the international circuit are going through and what it's like to live overseas and to be, you know, in, in having pockets of friends and, and those kinds of things. So that that's awesome. So tell me a little bit about kind of what led up to where you are now. You know, what was the catalyst or impetus for you to want to do this, have this mission and, or this ethos in your life? Yeah, I think as most people in our industry, in the experiential education or in education in general or in transformational learning or in facilitation, uh, they have an experience or they are facilitated through this journey of some sort of amazing experience. So great teachers always had an amazing teacher who taught them something really cool. And then they're like, wow, I want to be a, an amazing teacher as well. And so for me, my inspiration was um, experiences that I had from very young age at an outdoor adventure school in Western Canada called the Duco Adventure School. And a Duco takes young people out into the wilderness and really challenges them, them to discover who they are, who they want to become. I was an, an overweight teenage kid who didn't really know who I was or what I wanted to do and was very self-conscious. And this place kind of taught me how how to be comfortable in who I was and yeah, be really clear around where I wanted to go. And that experience as a teenager was just such a, it completely changed my view of the world and how I interact with people on the bus or how I interact with my parents or how I interact with basically anybody. Yeah, I just felt like more people need that type of transformational learning experience. And one of the things fundamental to jump is that those experiences, um, that transformational learning of going off into the wilderness or having this like expedition type experience is unique and is kind of only accessible to people who can one afford to be in the that environment and two who are willing to take that risk either their parents themselves or their community is willing for them to go into that setting and so jump was trying to look at how do we make that type of transformational learning experience more accessible to all um, and bring workshops into school campuses that was how we first started in the space i grew up the child of most importantly, a Montessori school, international school teacher. My mother, the biggest influence in my life around how to treat people and how to, to be with young people. She always said to me, Justin, you'd be an amazing educator. You'd be an amazing teacher. You should try and be a teacher. And I was like, I'm not going to be a teacher. I'm not going to be a teacher. But I basically 
as much of a teacher as I can be without being a teacher. And I work in schools uh, as much as teachers do. And I ended up marrying a teacher. My wife is an international school teacher. And so my mom obviously knew who I was very well. And my father is a development worker. Um, so work for the Canadian International Development Agency and then the World Bank um, and many other different organizations doing international development work around the world. So I'm kind of a byproduct of both of them really in, in their thinking and their approach. I went and studied international development because I was like, I want to change the world. And then I kind of brought everything I learned. I, my degree was in macroeconomic policy and administrative change, which essentially means how to build an organization to create impact. And so then I took that knowledge from university and I went back to the international school system and I, and I built out JUMP. So using education to create good kind of a combination of both my parents. I'm sure they're proud of everything you've done. And I mean, it sounds like you grew up in a in an environment which bred service to your community and, you know, outward thinking when it came to being accepting of other people. It sounds really amazing. I, I think that's super cool that, that that's where that is. And, and I agree. I mean, everyone I've talked to has had a teacher that has been impactful for them. And so I think, you know, we may not hit them all, but the ones we hit are the ones we're meant to hit, you know, and to get to. So I think that's pretty amazing that you guys have done that. And so I want to know about, I love this ethos and philosophy that you have about, you know, bringing experiential education to be more accessible to people and to students and to people in communities. And so what kinds of things are you doing now that COVID has changed the entire landscape of the world? What sorts of things have you had to change and, and adapt to? Yeah. So the, I mean, I'll go back to the genesis so you can kind of get the whole story of JUMP as an organization is we were a group of transformational leadership, experiential education facilitators, and we ran programs in the wilderness. And we said like, how do we run our program and create really deep, powerful learning for young people in the concept of leadership. How do we do that on a school campus without taking them to the mountains? And so we designed this program called the JUMP program and it was JUMP into it. So we did different activities about taking risks, JUMP out of the box. So being creative, innovative. I mean, we did different activities that forced kids to think creatively and innovatively and change how they communicate with each other. Uh, and then we did jump up, which was figuring out what really gets you to jump up and be excited. So jump into it, jump out of the box and jump up was the initial curriculum. And it was all going into school campuses and figuring out how to create really powerful learning experiences in an intense one or two day experience on campus. So intensive leadership development programs, workshops, retreats. And so we did these programs are called jump schools programs. Um, that's the current model that we have is called jump schools. Schools are like, Hey, well, we want to pay you to do those programs. And we're like, Oh, we're, we all had our own jobs. We're like, you don't need to pay us, but if you give us the money, we'll run the same type of program for youth who are under-resourced and, and underserved. And so that was, the, we were all volunteers. And for the first two years, people would give us money and and then we would run programs for underserved youth. And then eventually it was like, oh, you should start an organization. And we started this organization. And that premise of jump schools has always stuck with us. We always have had this program. Eventually schools started saying, well, hey, can you help us innovate our experiential education program? Um, and so that then we developed jump experiences and jump experiences and jump schools would generate revenue. And so jump experiences, hiking in Nepal, whitewater rafting in Malaysia, rock climbing in Thailand, exploring culture in Mal uh, Malaysia and in Indonesia. We have 36 different locations around the world that we run programs. Those experiences schools really liked and they're really 
embedded with the curriculum. And we started to build school-wide programs from like pre-K to 12 experiential learning programs. And so that part of our organization really took off. We continued doing jump schools and we were generating surplus and then funding our, our jump impact work. And then COVID-19 hit and our partner schools are like, well, we still want to do transformational learning. Can you do it in a virtual way? And so we launched in February, late February, Jump Connected, which is basically how do we take transformational learning but bring it into the virtual platform. Uh, and so this is not online learning, which definitely is one thing. This is virtual facilitation. And so coming into a Zoom room um, and having a skilled facilitator run you through activities about personal discovery, about community, about global citizenship, and being in the interactive environment with breakout groups with two to three other kids in there talking about their values, their cultural values, coming back into a larger group, super interactive. So Jump Connected was born earlier this year. And, and basically, it's the vehicle by which all of the work that we've done in the field or on school campuses, how do we bring that into the, the Zoom setting? The, the crazy thing is when we first started doing it, we had a, a lot of our facilitator networks. So we have about 150 facilitators, amazing people that create transformational learning all over the world. They're used to running our programs and some of them are outdoor educators and they're like, ah, there's no way virtual, you can't create transformational learning in a virtual setting. We're like, let's try and let's figure this out. And some of our facilitators now that are doing Jump Connected programs are like, we can actually get more depth of learning of self through a virtual setting. And we're able to do more control and organization, crazy things within a virtual setting that we would never be able to do if we had that those 21 kids in-person experience. Now there's benefits to both, but that's, I think that's the big, the fundamental difference that we've noticed is this, this innovation of virtual facilitation, which again, we really differentiate from online learning. There's like two different ways of operating and when you're in a community setting. Yeah, that has, has been an amazing eye-opening experience for us. That sounds really amazing. And you guys jumped on that pretty quick, not to, no pun intended. <laughs> you got on that really fast. I mean, because that was February was, was the epicenter, right? And you mentioned about in your model that when you, you use the revenue to help fund these underserved groups of students, how is that being affected with the Jump Connected? Are they able to have spaces to have computers and things like that? Or are you still doing that? Yeah. or what's the plan on that no and that's i mean that's part of our challenge as an organization is like we're not generating surplus right now <laughs> and so that's part of how do we build our revenue base back up so that we can do more impact work so we're still keeping in contact and keeping in communication with our impact partners and there's some work being done in latin america and in new york city around our jump connected programs and when we had some individual enrollment programs we offered scholarships to our jump connected youth uh, sorry our jump impact youth to be part of the jump connected programs but the digital divide, I mean, part of this whole like, oh, we're moving online to online learning. The digital divide is significant. And, you know, you see these photos of, of young people in villages that are like trying to, you know, get Wi-Fi and it's like, oh, resilience to learning, which is crazy. And they've got laptops, but there's a lot of youth that don't have access, even, even if they could get near Wi-Fi access or to the cell service. I mean, then the teachers don't have the ability or the platforms to educate in an online setting. So um, the digital divide has been emphasized by COVID-19, I believe. And then also the disparity of like the most underserved youth are even being further underserved and under-resourced by COVID-19. 
it sounds like you guys are a mirror to what happens in the larger educational community, because that seems to be exactly the case across the world is that you've got, of course, as always, the folks who have still have the ones who don't really don't. Now it just gets worse. And I'm really hoping that we're able to bounce back as a humankind from this. And so I want to ask you, I know you don't know the answer to this probably, but do you see that Jump Connected being part of your catalog so to speak, or your offerings, even after sort of this COVID tsunami sort of begins to subside? Do you still see it being part of what you do? Yeah, so what, I think it's super interesting to watch what's happening um, is that, jump aside, education in general, educators have done an absolutely fantastic job figuring out how to create learning and to create transformation in a virtual setting. And I think that education is in a little bit has been democratized from the teacher. Like online learning forces students to be more driven and to drive their own learning process. And so there's a ton of great things from schools that have shifted into online learning. The hard bit is that innovation and everyone's like, this is what's gonna change and break the educational system. It's gonna transform the way education works. And the only way that works is if when schools go back into session that everyone doesn't retreat to what's comfortable. Innovation never happens where it's comfortable. Innovation has to happen where it's uncomfortable. That's the, the core of innovation is like pushing and doing things that you're not used to doing, which human nature is that that's uncomfortable. And so what we've seen actually in Thailand, where I'm based in Bangkok, is that the schools are all back open, kids are on campus, and the lean is that, oh, okay, well, we'll just go back to the way that we used to operate, and which is easy and it's comfortable. And, and this is the other bit is that educators are burnt out. They've been teaching online. So you're like, okay, well, we'll use all of the innovation that, that you had you know, take that and put it in the online, uh, sorry, in the in-person setting. And I'm like, no way, like, I'm, I'm not, like, I'm just going to go back to the way I did it before COVID-19 and we'll get settled. And then when we get back to things being normal, then we'll look at where the innovations went. So I think it is hard. You have to hold that space. It's this hard space in the middle. You know, COVID-19 pushed us so far to innovate on this side that people are, I think, are burnt out from being in growth zone as an educator and students too. So I do think the benefit of COVID-19 will be felt more, and this is my hypothesis, I have no data to prove this yet, but will be felt more, the benefit will be felt more by the blended schools. So the schools who are coming back in a blended form and aren't returning fully to in-person classrooms allows for them to say like, oh, well, not only blended form, but we have asynchronistic. So you've always had asynchronistic in-person in learning and synchronized in-person learning, right? So me in a classroom, reading a book by myself on my own track or me, I mean, that's always been part of education. And then we flipped to online learning where we had those two forms in an online platform. And now for schools to be able to engage, engage both with asynchronistic online learning, synchronized online learning, asynchronistic in-person and synchronized in-person, those are now four tools in the tool belt that should be utilized. And something like Global Online Academy, which was you know, an asynchronized and a synchronized online learning that schools would say, either we're teaching this way, or you, know, you can do an online Global Academy course and that's a separate thing. I think that there's so much strength in schools partnering with organizations like uh, Global Online Academy and saying, well, how do we innovate the distribution of knowledge in the world and the growth of knowledge? Khan Academy is another thing. It's like Khan Academy was always seen as, oh, this thing that you do over there, 
or underserved youth use Khan Academy or gifted youth use Khan Academy. But now Khan Academy is something that can be embedded within the learning journey that a student has. So I think there's, if schools can, can hold the innovation in the middle, it's like this, you got a, it's a tension point. I think there's an edge there, a real strong growth edge. Absolutely. Actually, so in Korea, we have these three levels depending on the case numbers. And so we're moving out of level three, which was all online, and we're moving to level two. And so now that means that we alternate how many kids are on campus at a time. And so as a teacher of multiple grade levels, I can walk down the hall and have an in-person class and then stay in that room and go straight to online <laughs> with the next class. And so I will say there's definitely a fatigue, a tech fatigue that teachers are feeling. I also think there's a huge appreciation for homeschoolers now, homeschool parents and people, you know, thinking that way and online universities and things like that. I really think that student teachers are really seeing opportunities to to run their own flipped classrooms. So mm. I really hope that people will continue to record a five minute lecture or a five minute activity before class and kids watch it and then they come in ready. So, I mean, I think I'm really hoping, like you said, that we find the sweet spot as that pendulum swings back and forth for probably the next five years, you know, um, trying to find where that sweet spot is. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I really hope that we can find a way to make that happen. But again, it does come back to, do you have the facilities? Do you have the resources? Do you have the funds and things like that? And the talent, because it's not always easy to develop those kinds of online experiences or what have you. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. I know it's hard to be excited about anything right now, Justin, but what are you really, really excited about in education or in experiential education or what have you? What are you really excited about right now? Yeah, so I, I kind of want to build off of what you said around like the right people. I think I think that the most important thing with educators and, and most schools are filled with them. And this is like, you know, we are, our educators aren't innovative enough. Our educators aren't like don't have enough technology skills or whatever. I mean, I. I think it all comes down to like the core intention. And if people have, have positive intention and, you know, not to choose the buzzword of inquiry, but like they, they're honestly struggling or, or, or willing to go through like the inquiry and the learning journey themselves, that will lean into the, the experience that they have with students. And so I think innovation of education requires people who, I mean, this is so, you know, cliche, but that are risk takers, right? So that's like, okay, I do learner profile, we're all risk takers, but truly are risk takers and are willing to fail in their classroom, like as a teacher and as a learner, we have to be willing to fail. So that's like a, a key space. The other piece is that innovation requires time. Like you can't be like, okay, we're going to innovate education today. And that's the element of like what the challenge with COVID is that it's forced innovation in, in such a fast speed that people haven't necessarily been able to catch up with it so that they're coming back to what the way it used to be. So I think it requires people that are risk takers. It requires the space to innovate. And the third piece is it requires people who are confident and willing to release and so and to not control where it's going to go. So there's an organization called Thought Exchange um, based in Western Canada and their senior vice president, Jessica Olander. Um, so Jessica Olander, one of her quotes that I really like is, if you're truly innovating, you have no idea where it's going. So if, if you're like, hey, we're innovating education and this is where we're innovating to. We're trying to innovate this part of education. Obviously you're making change, but true innovation requires you to 
to have no idea of where it could end up and to really be thinking or jumping outside of the, the box. And so, sorry, my, my tangent is off of the innovation side and the space side. So the innovation requires the space, the ability to take risks and the confidence to not like not get everything right. The flip classroom that you mentioned, I think is probably the biggest gift that COVID-19 or one of the bigger gifts that COVID-19 has given education is that teachers are like, I don't know how this works. Do you? And the kids are like, yes, like we'll run this for you. That democratization of education and leveling playing field makes everyone a, a learner and makes everybody in this inquiry process. I really do feel like the innovation education requires that power structure to be broken. And for, I always, you know, think about the role of an adult. There's like the teacher, the educator, the facilitator, the coach, and then the mentor. And there's a spectrum of that. And sometimes like you have to teach things. Like you can't be like, oh, I, I, how do you think a rope should be tied? You're like, no, this is the way you tie a knot or this is the way this equation works. But then the edu educator like asks about inquiry and the facilitator like facilitates questions and the coach is like more coaching and the mentor is really just really stepping back. And so I think COVID-19 has allowed, given people the opportunity and given them the scope for educators to step and choose type of the role that they're going to play with a little bit more comfort. I love that. That's a great illustration. No, I mean, because this is something that comes up a lot and people I talk with because of the nature of the subject that we teach. Something that was always skills-based and skills taught mm -hmm. is very abstract at the moment, very theoretical. And, at the, and everyone says, well, where do I teach skills? And, and I think that's exactly what you're talking about here is there is always a place for that to take place. There's always a place where, yeah, you have to learn to tie a knot or yeah, you have to learn how to use this knife without cutting your finger off. And, you know, so there's always a place for, that's not the kind of safe failure I'm looking for <laughs> if you lose a thumb, but I am looking for, you know, opportunities to teachable moments where we can go through and hit the, you know, these different skills. But no, that's really amazing. I agree with you. I think it's great that we're allowing students to have a fair bit of agency when it comes to how things are being delivered now. I do know that teachers are asking students more and more now than they ever have, what do you want to know and how do you want to know it? You know, and I think that's happening a lot more through this, this opportunity. And so experiential education, let me ask you this, Justin, what other kinds, I know that a lot of what you've done is around team building and leadership and ropes and all these different things and outside. What other kinds of experiential education have you ever been part of? So I think there's this concept of experience education being activity-based. I mean, to answer your question, like in a metaphysical type of way is like, what type of experiential education I, have I been in life? Like everything is an experience and everything is educating me. I think like the meaningful type of experiential education is one that there's a really strong frame around the intention. And so the intention of rafting can be four different types of experiences. I'm trying to create a team building experience going rafting. I'm trying to create a connection with nature going rafting. Thing. I'm trying to create a risk tolerance and knowing safety. I'm trying to create a push outside your comfort zone. So those are four different intentions. And I can choose like one of them, two of them, three of them, try four of them. But the real powerful experiential education is the ones that like that really focus in on what's the intention. So what's the intention of going hiking? The intention of this hike is a navigation trip. It's a hard skills hike. The intention of this hike is for you to really ground into yourself and know what you want to do after you graduate from grade 12. The intention of this hike is for you to be in a supportive journey with your team and learning how to work and be, a, be in a collective so that when you go off into the world and you're working in a company, you know how to trust and respect and work with people in different ways. So you have these different like intentions. 
And as that intention comes in, the more you lean into the intention, the more powerful the experience is, the more powerful the learning is. So if you try and dilute the intention by saying, and this is what every school does, right? They're like, you know, uh, what we want out of this experience is we want a team building experience. We want a cultural engagement experience. We want a service experience. We want a connection to the English curriculum, connection to the biology curriculum. Connect I mean, we want this experience that has 12 different things. Sure, all in the, the superficial way. But if you really want to lean into experiential education in a powerful way, it's choosing what you're not doing and focusing on what you're doing. Um, and I think that's that, that intentional focus, you can see a, a big shift. Yeah. And so for me, I mean, you think to your personal experiences, like what has been the most like transformational experience in my life? I've been on massive treks and all sorts of things, but the birth of my daughter is definitely <laughs> the most transformational experience. I've ever had. There's so much intention behind becoming a parent and then the type of parent and then every every interaction with my daughter, I have such deep intention in terms of what I'm trying to do and the relationship I'm trying to create that that just makes me think of like, if we had that same type of intention when we were building programs or facilitating or creating learning, you know, that's, that's where you get strength is leaning into intention. I think that is an awesome way to start wrapping things up here, Justin, because I do find that that's what happens in a, in a classroom as well as the intentionality of the things that we're doing. Are we in, are we doing, what, what's our purpose? I think that that we have to always be asking that. So Justin, I appreciate how much time you've given me today. And I really appreciate you sharing your, what's going on with your organization, but more more importantly, how the philosophy and the ethos of that permeates everything you do. I can hear it and I can see it. The innovation I'm excited to hear about. I'd love to talk to you again once this thing's all over and see kind of how things are <laughs> shaken out at some point. But before I go, how can people get in touch with you if they want to find out more about you or more about the Jump Foundation? Uh, the best place to go is to our website, uh, which is www.jumpfoundation.org. Um, I believe you'll send a bio with a link attached to this. And also also LinkedIn, follow us on LinkedIn for resources and kind of best practices and ideas and innovations. And then Facebook also kind of tracks a lot of the cool programs we're doing. And basically, I think the one the one piece that I would kind of leave on is anybody who like says this is where COVID-19 is going or the world's going, like anyone who attempts to tell me that, I'm always like, that's the first time that the person has no idea what's going on. <laughs> like you can come up with 50 different scenarios. Like we know what's happening today and we know what could happen, but there's nothing definitive right now. And that's, I think the super unique way the world's operating is there's so much uncertainty in everything, in our relationships with our family who live across the world in our relationships with education are in the way companies operate. I have a friend in real estate and like office space no longer, like, is it gonna exist? Who knows? I think that's the, the sweet spot for education in my opinion, is working with kids so that they're comfortable with uncertainty and growing. And I, I think the world is only going to become more uncertain. That is a, an excellent way to wrap things up. Thank you so much, Justin. And I wish you guys nothing but prosperity <laughs> and luck as you move forward. Thank you so much. Thanks, Justin. I hope you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you. And I look forward to seeing you again really soon.